Today's sermon is entitled, A Word of Comfort and Blessing. Our text is Ephesians 6, verses 21 through 24. We come this morning to the end of our study of the book of Ephesians, a study that we began almost 15 months ago. And throughout, we've seen Paul sketch out a big picture of God's purposes in this letter. He's done that by pulling back the curtain and showing us God's decree. In the very first chapter of Ephesians, he reminded us that from before the foundation of the world, God set his love upon his people. And one reason for that reminder is to give them confidence and comfort and assurance. These Ephesian Christians were facing uh, great obstacles, great persecution. They were marginalized in their own society. Perhaps they, some had even been become estranged from friends and family because of their profession of Christ. And, and so they, they could have felt very overlooked or, or vulnerable and insignificant in their own time and place. And Paul wants them to understand that from before the foundation of the world, God set his love on them for his purposes and for his glory. But Paul has also shown us God's big picture in Ephesians by reminding us that it's not just about God's purposes for for you, you know, for us as individuals, but it's for his people as a whole. That uh, when he saved you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, he also saved you out of isolation then and into his family. And that family includes both believing Jews and Gentiles, men, women, boys, and girls from all different backgrounds and ethnicities have been brought into this one family of God that God has been building since the days of Genesis 3.15 when he promised to send the Messiah. He would raise up a seed to that woman who would crush the head of the serpent. And God progressively revealed that plan through covenants, particularly God's promise to Abraham. And so throughout this epistle, Paul has been putting our lives inside that big picture that we might have perspective on what the Lord is doing uh, in our lives, that it's not a myopic perspective, a perspective that's not self-focused, you know, just focused on our concerns day to day. But we understand there's a much larger scope to God's redeeming work. And then, especially from chapter 4 on, the Apostle Paul, having told us of these enormous privileges that we have as Christians, he wants to press home to us, along with those privileges, also come a responsibility to live out who we are in Jesus Christ, to live out the realities that he's told us about in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. And then we concentrated on that glorious section in chapter 6, the the full armor of God, where Paul reminded us that we are in a spiritual battle. We live in a war zone. So we need divinely supplied armament if we're going to be able to prevail. And now Paul concludes this epistle in a very practical way. He introduces this man, Tychicus. It's it's an interesting name. I'll tell you about it in a few minutes. But apparently this is a scribe to whom Paul had been dictating this letter. And Tychicus had been writing down the words. And now Paul takes up the pen to write one final word to the congregation. He tells us something about this man, Tychicus. But in the course of telling us something about him, Paul also reveals something about the practical way that he's always working to cultivate fellowship of believers and shared life in the church. And then he pronounces a double benediction. He gives us a benediction in verse 23, and then he comes back and he gives another benediction in verse 24. So I want to look at those things with you this morning at the close of this great book. Before we do that, let's go to God in prayer and ask for his help before we read his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying this this wonderful portion of your word, and we pray that the truths of this book will linger in our hearts and resound and be reflected in our lives long after our study is over. And we ask that even in these final words of of, God, departure and blessing, we will be encouraged as we study them today. So we open our eyes to behold the wonderful things in your word, and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So this is God's word beginning in Ephesians 6 verse 21. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen. May God write the eternal truths of his word upon your heart and mine. Well, Paul shows us even in this parting word, his great love for the church. He shows us his pastoral heart. He shows us the way that he was able to sketch out really some of the grandest visions of God's kingdom and his purposes. And yet know how to practically implement them as well into the life of God's people. He shows us his practical concern and his thoughtfulness of other believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he even shows us how gracious he is, even in his benediction. So first of all, point one on our outline, notice in verses 21 and 22, Paul's practicality. So point one, Paul's practicality. Because Paul was not only able in this book to sketch out a vision for God's new society, you know, a new society of of redeemed sinners brought out of the world and into God's family, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, People that look different, talk different, came from different backgrounds, but they were united together in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're going to be part of that multitude one day that no man can number. Those who will be standing around the throne singing praises to the Lamb who was slain from before the foundation of the world. He revealed in this glorious work that God was doing to bring people together. People you would never have guessed would have come together at a human level that way. Different backgrounds, religious views and all that. And yet... God had saved them out of that, saved them by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had rested in Him and trusted in Him alone, and now they're brothers and sisters. And while they looked different and they talked different and they came from different backgrounds, even so they loved one another in Jesus Christ. They had been brought together in shared life to fellowship together. They, they have what the New Testament calls koinonia. They had communion with one another in their union with Jesus. And Paul can sketch out that grand picture of what God is doing. At the same time, he knows practically that there are steps that you have to take in order to promote that in the life of God's people. And even in verses 22 and 3, he gives a hint of some of the practical steps that he himself has taken to promote that kind of shared life. You see something, uh, some customs that Paul employs to cultivate this, this communion or this fellowship, this koinonia and shared life. So first of all, I have to tell you about the name of this beloved minister in the Lord, whose name is Tychicus. The first part of his name comes from a Greek word for fortune or fortunate. Uh, so Paul's ministry partner is named fortune or fortunate. Now, is that a picture of, of the sovereignty of God or what? You know, it shows you how this sovereign God can pull out of a pagan world Uh, one whose parents named him Fortune or Fortunate. He superintends and oversees all the salvation of his elect and this man Tychicus and the blessing of this local congregation. And how does Paul describe him? He says he's a beloved brother and faithful minister. But here's what I really want us to see in these verses. First of all, notice Paul's desire for believers to know how he was doing and, and to comfort them. He emphasizes it twice. First in verse 21, he says, but that you may know about my circumstances. Uh, Paul knows that the Ephesians are are worried about him. Um, 
How's Paul doing? How's the house arrest going? Where are we going in this whole trial thing? Are you being fed well, Paul? Uh, Paul knows they're worried about him. You know, if we get reports from our missionaries that trouble is on their horizon, well, we pray for them. We pray fervently. And when we get those reports, then we're really, really interested to hear also how things turned out. Well, same with Paul. They want to know how Paul is. And Paul's concerned to send them a message about how he's doing, however difficult it may be to get word to them, because, well, that promotes fellowship. It promotes a shared life. When he explains to them the difficulties he is facing, and, and then he reports God's answers to prayer, when he, when he explains to them the obstacles he's facing, he reports God's answer, well, well, then he explains the duress or hardship that he's under, and he reports back to them how God has answered that prayer. When we share our lives with one another, more and more our hearts are knit together. And in Paul's case, his heart is knit to theirs, and their hearts are knit to his. And so he wants believers to know how he's doing, and he says it again at the end of verse 21. He says, when Tychicus comes, he will tell you everything. And then he says it again in verse 22, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are. And this is not because Paul is self-centered, you know, as if, as if to say, you know, it's really important that you know something about me. No, the sentiment is, I know you've been praying for me. I know that you know what I've been up against. It would be selfish of me not to report back to you what the Lord is doing in answer to your prayers. But notice also he's concerned that Tychicus would comfort them. This is so Christ-like, isn't it? I mean, remember Jesus as he was on the cross. He looks down at John, the beloved disciple, and he also looks down at his own mother, Mary. And he says to John, now let me introduce you to your mother now. You know, my father's been gone for many years. Joseph apparently had died long ago. I've been the one responsible to take care of my mother. But John, it's your job now. So Jesus, here he is. He's hanging on the cross. He's paying the penalty for the sins of his people. But he's thinking about his mother and he's thinking about his friends. And he's thinking about his disciples. If, if, if any man ever had a right, you know, to be self-preoccupied, it was the Lord Jesus when he was on the cross. And even on the cross, he's thinking about others. Well, here's Paul. He's the one in danger. He's the one who's in the bullseye of Satan's attacks. And yet his concern is that the Ephesian Christians would be comforted. And Paul, Paul had, been, had been so captured by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and so concerned that they would be comforted comforted, and, and therefore he, he sends Tychicus to them. And see, what Paul's doing here is through these concrete uh, practices and customs, he's actually fostering a shared life in the life of the church. You know, when our missionaries are on furlough, they come back to the States, they come to visit us, and they tell us what's going on in their context on the mission field and what God is doing and, and also maybe some of the challenges they're facing. It lets us know more how we can pray for them. And it gives us a greater capacity also to rejoice when God answers those prayers. Because when we know more information about the things and the obstacles and challenges for them, well, then our hearts get knit together. And that's why I think it's important that we always try to establish relationships with our missionaries, keep those relationships, and, and even the fact that, that they can be long-term relationships. Yes, of course, our financial support is important. But we need to share our lives with them, and they need to share their lives with us. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here in sending Tychicus. He's sending information that will foster prayer, but more than that, it'll foster shared life. He's not satisfied with just you know, sketching out for us this, this grand vision of God's new society, as important as that is. He's doing 
concrete, practical things. And the three primary things that he does throughout this letter is, notice it's, it's prayer, correspondence, and visits. You remember that we've said that half of this book really is, is prayer in one form or another. So Paul either reports, well, this is what I've been praying for you, Ephesians, or, or he gives prayer requests. You know, dear Ephesians, would you pray for this, for me and for others? Or this book is filled with prayers, outlines of them, examples and, and direct prayers. Those prayers are all designed to show Paul's heart for the Ephesians and to cultivate in the Ephesians a heart for God's work in God's kingdom through Paul and through other faithful ministers. And so through prayer, he cultivates shared life. But then also correspondence. I mean, this letter itself is one of Paul's acts of correspondence. Of course, he's been carried along by the Holy Spirit that he would write the scripture, which this is, and God's special revelation to us. But also these letters cultivate shared life in the body of Christ. And then, uh, of course, the other concrete thing Paul does is personal visits when he can. You remember, it's to the Ephesian elders that he will send the word in Acts 20. He says, hey, I want to I want to. To you to, to come meet me at the coast. I'm on my way back to Jerusalem. This will probably be the last time we'll ever see one another. Let me tell you, if you, if you haven't read that in a while, go, go back and read Acts 20. Uh, and you read the account of Paul and those Ephesian elders meeting together. And here at the end, it ends with a bunch of grown men sobbing and, and hugging one another. What, what has happened? Well, shared life has happened. Communion has happened. Paul's just not some guy out here just doing something. Uh, he, he, he's constantly showing us we are all in this together. And so through prayer and correspondence and visits, um, you know, he cultivates the building up of Christ's body, cultivates communion. And he's been concerned about that as he speaks to us in this book. And he shows us that concern practically through these prayers and through correspondence and through visits and even through sending Tychicus to tell them how he is doing. So that's the first thing I want you to see, Paul's practicality. Now let's consider the final words here of this benediction, this double benediction. Uh, point two on your outline, Paul's double benediction. And that's verses 23 and 24. And it's a little bit different. It's not grace and peace, which we often hear in Scripture. I mean, that's a standard Christian greeting, a standard greeting that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. But here it is peace and grace. And notice it's not just peace and grace, but verse 23, it's peace, love, and faith. Uh, and then in verse 24, grace. And by the way, benediction really is just, uh, it means good word. Literally, it's a word of blessing. The worship service, we always begin our worship service with a, with a call to worship from Scripture. You know, God in His Word calling us to worship. And then the, wor- the worship service ends with God in a word from Scripture blessing us. And benedictions have been used by the people of God since all the way back since Old Testament times. I know you remember the famous Old Testament benediction. It comes from uh, Numbers 6, verses 24 through 26. It's, it's Aaron's benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you, you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and grant you peace. And you hear grace and peace even in that old benediction that stretches back basically 14 centuries before Christ in the, in the days of Moses. And Paul himself has given us more benedictions in the New Testament than anybody else. So let's turn to a couple of those. If you look at Acts 20, which you referenced earlier, uh, it contains a record here of Paul meeting with the Ephesian elders. And listen to the benediction that he pronounces on those elders when he meets them in Acts 20, verse 32. 
And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So among Paul's final word to the Ephesian elders is the word of God's blessing. Then if you turn to Romans 15.33, one of the standard forms of of benedictions that Paul will use, may the, the God of peace be with you all. Uh, but maybe the most standard form of Paul's benediction is found in, in Romans 16.20. You also see it in 1 Thessalonians 5.28. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He says almost the same thing in 1 Corinthians 16.23. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Does a similar benediction in Galatians 6.18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. He also do uh, Trinitarian benedictions. You know, maybe the most famous of them is 2 Corinthians 13, 14. I'll often use the form of this one in our services. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So the Trinitarian pattern, Father, Son, and Spirit. In this case, here it's Son, Father, and Spirit. You see another Trinitarian benediction in Ephesians 6, 23 and 24, the passage we're looking at today which focuses on the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and faith, which elsewhere Paul ascribes to the Spirit. Then if you turn to Philippians 4.23, here Paul gives another benediction, similar to the ones in Romans and in 1 Corinthians and Galatians. It's in Philippians 4.23, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Well, in this passage we're looking at, Today, in Ephesians 6, let's consider two things here. Verse 23, this is a blessing of peace. Now, you know, peace doesn't just mean the ceasing of hostility. In the Bible, peace entails that enjoyment of the total well-being that God bestows on His people. So so when when Paul says, peace be to the brothers, he's saying, may you, fellow believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, because we've been united to Christ by faith, by the work of the Spirit. May you know the fullness of God's favor, having been reconciled to God, so that you may have peace with Him. Having been reconciled to one another, so that now you're in this family, may you know together the fullness of the blessing that God bestows. And that's the total spiritual well-being that God comes from, that, that comes from God's favor. Then notice, he says, Peace be to the brothers and love. Now, is he talking about your love or God's love? Well, he's saying... May you taste of God's love, His full, fatherly, gracious, free, and flowing love. May you know the total enjoyment and well-being that only He can bestow. It's, it's, it doesn't mean you're not going to have any trouble or problems or all that. It's just that He gives you that peace that passes all understanding, and you may taste of His love. And He says, with faith. There you see it. After all, faith itself is a gift of God. Paul's acknowledging that the Ephesians were believers, that they had faith. But he's also acknowledging that they know they need to rely upon the Spirit for that faith to continue. In other words, may God continue to grant you faith. Well, that's the first part of the benediction. Peace, love, and faith. Well, the second part has to do with grace. Verse 24, Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So two things here we need to see. First of all, when Paul says grace to you, he's saying, may God continue his grace to you, his free, undeserved, and unearned favor to you. 
of favor secured by Jesus Christ, but by nothing in you or done by you. Rather, it's freely given to you. May God continue that free and undeserved favor to you. But then notice the final words, who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And and the Apostle Paul is reminding us here that God's peace and God's love and God's grace is for those and only those who love the Lord Jesus to the end. That is to say, it's for those whom, uh, to whom, by the power of, of, of powerful operations of Holy Spirit, there's been this divine work of a new life done in their hearts so that they rest and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And they never stop resting and trusting in Jesus alone. They've been sealed unto eternal life. And because they never, ever stop resting and trusting on Jesus, what happens? Well, their love for Jesus grows and it grows. It never stops growing. There's an old hymn that we sing sometimes, More love to thee, O Christ. And so Paul's words remind us of that, that it's the experience of every believer. When you realize what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, the only proper response is to grow in love for Christ. Love to Christ is a great index of the work of the Spirit in our hearts. And so Paul closes this great book with a benediction. And we close our study of this great book with a benediction. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Father, thank you for this portion of your word. We ask, Lord, that you will continue to bless it to our understanding and transform our lives for your glory. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.